This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. With me today is Kathleen Mullen-Harris, James E. Hard, Distinguished Professor of Sociology at the University of North Carolina to discuss the National Academy of Sciences 2021 Consensus Report, High and Rising Mortality Rates Among Working-Age Adults. Professor Harris, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Professor Harris's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. Briefly on background, dedicated podcast listeners will recall I interviewed Dr. Stephen Wolf regarding the IOM's related 2013 report, Shorter Lives, Poorer Health, that February. In January 21, I interviewed Dr. Wolf again last November. I interviewed Professor Carol Graham at University of Maryland regarding Deaths of Despair. And in late December, I posted my related stat news essay titled Deaths of Despair, the Unrecognized Tragedy of Working Class Immiseration. Professor Mullen Harris is the lead author of this National Academy of Science report, published last spring, and is also the subject of Professor Harris's July 21 testimony before a Senate Help Subcommittee. In sum, the report concluded, quote, already ranked relatively low in life expectancy among other high-income countries. The U.S. has continued to lose ground, close quote, causing the report author's to further conclude, quote, the significance of these ominous trends for the country cannot be overstated. The premature deaths of tens of thousands of Americans in the prime of their lives has profound ripple effects on the well-being of families and the social fabric of communities for generations to come, close quote. With me again to discuss the National Academy of Sciences consensus report, high and rising mortality rates, is Professor Mullen Harris. So with that as intro or background, the obvious first question is, if you can uh, provide an overview of the findings regarding uh, declining life expectancy, and then uh, and feel free uh, to be as complete as you'd like, and I'll likely have some uh, follow-up um, related questions. So again, what moreover, what were the findings uh, relative to declining life expectancy data? Sure. Uh, we did really a comprehensive evaluation of, of the data to try to answer that question, um, why life expectancy um, you know, had been declining uh, for the first time in 100 years. And what we found were that there were three main drivers of the rise um, in working age mortality. And by working age, we mean the ages 25 to 64. Mm -hmm. Uh, and those three uh, causes were deaths due to drug poisoning and alcohol-induced causes, uh, suicide, and then uh, cardiometabolic diseases, which is a um, a, a group of uh, of diseases related to um, hypertension, hypertensive disease, uh, heart disease and endocrine, nutritional, and metabolic diseases, basically diabetes. Um, the, the rise in death rates due to these three causes were uh, pretty universal 
um, across across the board um, by age, uh, sex, and um, and and race. Um, the rise in mortality was occurring um, uh, more often among whites in terms of drug poisoning and alcohol induced causes and and suicide. Um, but for cardiometabolic diseases, those rates um, of mortality have—they've actually always been higher among um, African Americans, and um, and 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 that increase continues for them as well as as for whites. Okay, thank you. Just I'll, I'll note some follow-up um, uh, sure. points. Just for suicides, ranks as one of the sadly one of the top. Uh, 10 leading causes of death now in the U.S. It's, they've increased across the board, 33% this century. And last I looked for the CDC, uh, they've tripled for young adults. Uh, uh, frequencies tripled uh, for 16 to 24-year-olds. Uh, let me ask you uh, some specifics about your findings. You have a chapter on uh, international or U.S. mortality in international context. That's chapter two. Um, mm-hmm. You note that uh, recent data, this is 2016, the U.S. ranked 34th uh, amongst all countries in life expectancy. And what I found particularly interesting uh, when you get into the weeds on this, uh, of the report, that um, the U.S. went from one to four standard deviations above the peer country average for working age mortality between 1950 and 2016. So could you say a bit more about how we rank or compare uh, relative to um, comparable or other rich countries? Yeah, the, I mean, it's it's a really interesting uh, comparison, the international comparison. We don't, we sort of set the background in the report for this, but um, don't go into that much depth. But the, um, yeah, the life, life expectancy among males has always been lower than our peer peer countries um, since you know I think maybe the late fifties is when it you know sort of trailed below um, but the situation for women uh, has only sort of recently become worse uh, their life expectancy um, began to fall below our peer countries in in the 1980s but it's really taken off most rapidly during the period that we studied in this report, which is uh, like the late 90s. You see the gap between peer countries and the U.S. widen significantly. Um, so I'd say, you know, the late 90s, really over the 2000s, and then most dramatically since 2010. And that's true for for men and, and for women. Um, you know, we don't have an answer as to you know, what exactly is going on, a theme that will come up in my answers uh, today to probably your other questions is that it has probably to do with the obesity epidemic. Uh, the obesity epidemic started in the U.S. Um, in uh, early the early 1980s. And um, as you know, obesity is obviously not, not good for your health, but it doesn't really affect your health immediately there's a lag uh, in, t- in time. Um, and so as our U.S. population has increasingly become uh, uh, more obese, more overweight, um, that's having an effect on chronic diseases, including 
you know, hypertension, um, you know, heart disease, uh, other sort of difficulties with just uh, living a normal life in terms of getting regular exercise. So that is probably one of the factors that explains why we're not doing as well as our peer countries, especially uh, since, you know, the 2000s, like, you know, 20, 30 years after the obesity epidemic started. Okay, thank you again. I, I don't have this specifically noted uh, in in my notes, but I do recall the only category in which comparatively the U.S. does better, and here, correct me if I'm wrong, and that is yeah. for people 80 years or older. Is that correct? Yeah, well, 65 and older. Um, uh, our, yeah, I mean, our death rates above age 65 have actually been improving and, um, you know, are, you know, on par Mm-hmm. or or better than than our peer countries. Yeah. Okay, and then let's uh within the US I think it's worth noting and you do note this that there is a significant difference between life expectancy at the extremes, meaning when you compare the wealthiest right. 1% to this poorest 1%, correct? Right. Yes. Uh that's, you know, that's another often cited explanation that um, we have, you know, higher levels of inequality uh, in the U.S. Uh, than our other peer countries, especially in sort of, you know, northern um, uh, Europe. It, it, you know, it is not due to the diversity of the race and ethnic diversity um, of the U.S. relative to other countries. That that That's not an explanation because even when, you know, we, you know, compare just the white population in the U.S. with our peer countries, we're still fall, falling far behind. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. The, uh, the the other aspect about, and we'll get to this, so um, we'll just note it here, and, and, you, and, and I'll just read the, the quotation here, as you note in the report, quote, what is clear is that societies, and this is suggesting the comparativeness, with larger income inequality tend to have worse health. And that, of course, is an indictment on, on the U.S. because comparatively we have a higher income and wealth inequality. So that's part of this. Um, exactly, yeah. Okay, there are other uh, nuances here. Of course, you do know a few pages, but of course you reference the effect the COVID-19 pandemic has had. Of course, I think listeners are well aware of, of that effect, but that underlying um, mm-hmm. Pre-existing conditions, of course, not surprisingly, made mortality rate from COVID um, uh, higher. And of course, we're four percent of the world's population, four point two five. With last I looked, sixteen percent of total world uh, COVID nineteen related mm-hmm. deaths. So um, there's there's how it pl- has played out. Um, Let's go to, um, and I may backtrack on some of these statistics, but let's get to, uh, again, the most interesting, what I found at least from, from a policy perspective, and this is your chapter 10, the relationship between economic factors and mortality. And uh, I'll, I, I, since I cited him in that stat news piece I wrote, and this is Virchow, uh, his famous line, disease is an expression of individual life under unfavorable conditions. Uh, by implication, I'm... Uh, referencing uh, economic factors. So you do go into some detail about what's happened for the working class over uh, the last 
well, since the 70s. Um, but I'll, uh, please explain, provide your explanation uh, of your understanding of this. Yeah, that's um, the the role of economic factors is complex, and it's it's worth me stating that you know this report was uh, produced and generated by uh, um, uh, a committee of experts um, in in this area of research, and there's contention in terms of what we can say about the role of economic factors and the. You know, the, the contention has to do with, you know, whether or not the changes that have occurred in our economy since since the 70s, you know, is is really um, what's causing these higher rates of mortality uh, for working age uh, adults and um, and especially for these particular causes that are rising. So, you know, the. The explanation would be that in you know in the 1970s and and 80s there was a pattern of deindustrialization where um, a lot of the manufacturing um, industries and those jobs that were available to those with lower levels of education like a high school education or whatever um, they they left uh, urban areas. Um, and they also left the U.S. and went overseas uh, where the labor is cheaper. And that meant that individuals with a lower level of education, you know, sometimes you might call them blue-collar workers, people working in, in factories and, and whatnot, had, had just fewer job opportunities. Uh, and this, of course, notoriously happened in the, the industrial Midwest, um, also in the area of um, Appalachia. Um, and so that resulted in sort of mass unemployment in certain geographic areas and for certain subgroups of the population, you know, notably the less, the less educated and many, many of, many of the blue collar jobs in manufacturing, you know, were taken by, by whites. And so what what's happened is that they've been experiencing then extended long periods of of unemployment. Um, at the same time, we have this sort of a growth in the service sector. We've had a growth in jobs that require some technical skills. Um, you know, the a growth in digital um, types of uh, electronic and and computing skills. Um, so they were not, um, you know. Um, prepared uh, or trained for those types of works. And so it left really, you know, a big swath of our population in, in economic straits, uh, really, you know, difficult positions. Some, some people lost their insurance when they lost their jobs. Um, and young people growing up in these areas, you know, sort of left those areas and went, you know, to the city uh, where they would probably work in, in the service sector. So it's it's hard to make those connections between such a, a long-term economic trend and then mortality and uh, um, you know death rates sort of 10 to 20, 30 years later. So that was sort of that that was what the contention was within the committee. However, it's pretty hard to ignore <laughs> the fact that you know that that less educated Americans have much higher death rates and have 
much greater risks of disease. So we know that the economic situation matters. And there's research, you know, there's research to show that um, that access to Medicaid, for example, which is only which is healthcare for the poor, um, that the states that expanded their Medicaid expansion through the uh, the ACA or Obamacare, that those states have lower rates of mortality. Um, we we also know that when there are expanded benefits to individuals who are poor uh, through uh, the earned income tax, for example, um, that they also experience lower rates of mortality than poor individuals who don't have access to those benefits. So we know that the economic factors are really important in terms of health, health risk, uh, disease, and death. So, um, you know, so the conclusion that, you know, that we make is that, you know, we can't say that the economic factors are so much causal because they're so combined with many other factors that involve changes in technology, um, cultural shifts, the fact that, you know, many more women are, are now working in the labor force than they were 50 years ago. Some of those jobs get taken away from, from men, uh, that marriage rates are, 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 are down because mm-hmm. um, women can work and, and support themselves and, and so on. So you can imagine there's so many factors combined um, in these trends. But the one thing we know for sure is that, you know, individuals of lower socioeconomic status with less education, with less income, um, minorities, black and Hispanic individuals um, all face higher rates of mortality. And it's primarily because they just have fewer opportunities, you know, to get a job, to get a good job, to get a job that provides them with health insurance. And that is stable over time. Okay, thank you. I didn't see the word use, but between the lines in reading this, it's really sort of the critique of neoliberalism um, more broadly. Um, You use the phrase in uh, the report, quote unquote, the withering influence of economic pressures, which I thought was was a a very useful phrase. And I'll read another um, uh, concluding uh, sentence again. Uh, this is this time in the summary uh, and it makes the point declining economic conditions, socioeconomic inequality and vulnerability are mm-hmm. themes that help in understanding how the different and changing social, economic and geographic contexts of population subgroups may explain recent trends in working age mortality. And of course, um, this is the conversation made more uh, popular understood, obviously, by Case and Deaton, the Princeton economists, in their Deaths of the Spirit research, and, of course, their more recent uh, book. I will note, since you mentioned Medicaid, um, I will mention, you're probably well aware, uh, Steve Wolf had a recent piece, viewpoint piece, um, in JAMA, The Growing Influence of State Governments on Population Health in the U.S., where he showed, per your point about states that did and didn't expand Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act, that there is increasing difference between the states that expanded and those that didn't relative to uh, uh, life expectancy um, uh, between states that expanded and those that didn't relative to the effect uh, Medicaid has. So I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say that um, a couple of things, you know, we, we, 
we we made uh, an effort to you know uh, you know we didn't take on any sort of uh, political right. uh, orientation or 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 data. Um, I mean, our report is really rooted in the data, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure you know as you've seen the report half you know, half of it is, is data. Uh, and, and then, and that was a service that we did actually for the field. You can just look at the data yourself. Um, but, and it, and it's difficult when you, when you, when you're looking at something like Medicaid expansion through the ACA. And I mean, I, I know this because I, uh, you know, I, there's, because the Russell Sage foundation had a program that was really trying to promote, and understand um, the impact of the ACA on all kinds of on all kinds of things, not so much health, but even non-health um, outcomes. Is you know the states that expanded the ACA um, are are primarily the blue states, and the states that did not are primarily the red states. So it's it's very difficult to separate those factors. Um, but you know, just in terms of a policy, it just it just so happens you know to work out that way. Um, but we don't we don't go and and then take the next step and and connect that to to politics. Um, we just connect it to, you know, what what are the resources available uh, to poor people um, who likely have health problems, uh, or are more likely to have health problems because they're poor and they don't have the resources to get the, the kind of health care that they need, especially the preventative care. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one other thing I was going to say in response to what you said, but I can't, it's slipping my mind at the moment. Sorry. Um, All right. It'll, it'll come back. I'm sure. Um, the way I would phrase or understand this work, it's very data rich, certainly, but some might phrase this as a pure play. I mean, it just adheres to stays yeah. with uh, describing the data. Um, so uh-huh. thank you for yeah. that. Thank you for that additional. I, I do, if I, if I could squeeze in a, a, a question here before moving on. Uh, to your Hill testimony, um, you know, mental health plays an important role. Um, first, relative to your Russell Stage uh, reference, I actually did interview the two editors of the last August Russell Stage Foundation report on Medicaid, which those oh. pap- series of papers were absolutely fascinating. I mean, I, that yeah. was some of the most brilliant Medicaid work in one volume I'd seen in many, many, many years. So congratulations on that. And thank mm-hmm. you for referencing or that reminder. Um, but the question here again is mental health, uh, because a lot of this pre note alcohol, drug abuse, and of course related, uh, you know, suicide, suicide ideation is fundamentally a behavioral mental health issue. Um, so coincident with the, these other three, uh, major, uh, causes of mortality, you would have say, would of course is, is behavioral health issues. Um, yeah. Feel free. Did you have a comment on that? Yeah, you know, the mental health was a a tough one um, because there the the data aren't great uh, out there. So sorry, I you know I keep coming back to the data, but mm-hmm. that's you know that's what the report is about. And and it's just that we don't you know on our surveys we don't ask we don't you know ask about mental health in the same way. But it, but clearly the the mental health um, is is a huge issue, and and it also, you know, it relates to the case in Deaton argument about about despair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't really take on that despair notion. We just said, again, you know, that we don't have good measures of despair yet in our national data in our surveys. Um, but 
we did feel, you know, f- for sure that there is a, you know, there that, I mean, we did believe that there is something there about despair that is related to sort of mental health that's related to a hopelessness, you know, for the, for the future. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, the certain communities were, were, were really affected, um, like Appalachia, mm-hmm. um, which had the opioid, you know, where the, opi- uh, the opioid epidemic was at one point um, concentrated. And of course, it spread everywhere. And, you know, there, there definitely is, you know, this, this feeling that if you can't, if you, if your parents can't get a job and people in your family can't get a job and you didn't go to college, so it's not likely you're going to be able to get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a definitely, you know, a feeling of, of hopelessness and it seems to be more prominent among, among the white population. I mean, there's some research sort of looking into this now, whereas among um, African-Americans and immigrants, there, there is more hope there about their future. And so it's this kind of dilemma. Uh, it seems like a, um, you know, it doesn't make sense because blacks have always been more disadvantaged than whites in the American social stratification system. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's this feeling if you're at the bottom, you know, there's only one way to go and that's up. Um, whites have always been able to place themselves above blacks on a hierarchy. And um, so the loss of the loss of that is um, seems to be, um, you know, more detrimental, you know, for whites at the moment. The loss of that, it, just in the sense that if you can't get a job, and you, your family can't get a job, and you know, you can't get married because you can't support a right. family, and 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 that sort of thing. Um, so the mental health issue is an important one, but we really need more more research in that area. Mental health services are not, are not widespread. Um, and they're, they're not geographically, you know, equally, you know, able to, to, for access. And then, then we have COVID on top of everything else. And I think that really, that also really revealed how, you know, how inadequate our healthcare system is for mental health, um, in, in the, in the, in America. I'm glad you said inadequate. I was going to say less effective word, fragile. Um, yeah. you know, we could get into the whole sociology of this, I'll avoid it, but you know, per your point about, um, minorities being maybe, it appears better able to adapt, um, and more, um, you know, sense of coherence, you know, from that whole, uh, literature field, um, resilient, right. Um, so there is that, and of course, there's the whole dynamic of last place aversion and consequences of not avoiding last place. Uh, well, but let's move on. You gave testimonies, sure. as I said in the introduction, last July yeah. before the a Subcommittee on Primary uh, uh, Health, uh, Retirement Security, uh, of the Health Senate uh, Health Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. This is Patty Murray's committee. Um, Bernie Sanders, prominent uh, in that you know, you gave a pretty straightforward, I read your testimony, pretty straightforward uh, summary discussion. Um, but what I'm really interested in, what was your sense of of that hearing, uh, the effect it had on the members? What what sort of did you take away from that exercise? Would be interesting. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating. I uh, felt that, um, you know, there were three, three of us who gave right. testimony. And so I was like the, you know, the data person right. 
it's like I'm now saying, you know, here are all these things happening. What are we going to do? Um, and the and the other two individuals who testified were people who had that sort of firsthand experience right. with family members with, you know, uh, with drug addiction. Um, Southern Indiana. Or, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And dealing with and, and it was it was it was so much, you know, those were, you know, really compelling, I, I thought. Um, so I think that the problem, you know, this is a t- this is a really difficult problem. So I felt that everybody who attended really appreciated the problem there. Uh, some of the, sen- you know, the senators were who attended um, that um, that briefing were, of course, thinking of their own context. So they're, um, you know, the senator um, from Connecticut, I guess, Chris Mercy was, you know, asked about gun violence mm-hmm. uh, that that was an important that you know that was an important finding that we had in the report that the uh the rise in mortality isn't due to um uh, an increase of of guns being available however the states with the loosest gun laws um and and the most access to guns mm-hmm. have higher death rates you know so that that's always there and he wanted to point that out um, the right. senator from Sandy Alaska, Hook. right? Yeah, yeah, Sandy Hook. Yeah, uh, from Alaska. You know, was you know really wanted to know about. I mean, the Native American population, Native Alaska and, and sure. uh, American Indian, have extremely high um, uh, mortality rates. Uh, but their data, unfortunately, we couldn't we couldn't use in this report just because we needed thirty years of data. Um, you know, from vital statistics and and their data, you know, the quality of those data have gotten much better uh, now, but they did, but not 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, that was an important point you know, to make. Uh, the, the one point that I really am returning to again is, you know, I think that there are important takeaways from the report that that I wanted to point out, and and that is that. Uh, that that young adults are extremely vulnerable, um, and uh, in the sense, and, and the reason that the young adults seem to be having, you know, much higher rates of chronic illness than young adults 20 years ago, they have higher rates of hypertension, they have higher rates of diabetes, they you know have heart disease, and. Um, and part of the reason for that is that because the younger adults are the cohort who has lived their entire lives in o- obesogenic environments, like mm-hmm. we, you know, where there's you know lots of more access to fast food, you can't. There's less green area to do exercise, um, and so on. So I, I really wanted to make the, that that point because, you know, it's it's the young people that where interventions that um you know could be most could help the health of of the population to a much greater degree um so so that was one point i wanted to make and then of course the economic policies uh um needed to address the the economic and social strains that are making communities so vulnerable um to opioids and other drugs and uh and and more obesogenic was another point that Bernie Sanders wanted me to reemphasize <laughs> um you know e- even after I said that right you conclude your testimony with the straightforward United States is losing far too many lives far too early uh, yeah. to summarize your point that's my last question um 
and I'll, I'll quote here, uh, the committee grappled with how the evidence detailed in this report suggests the need for policy changes with the potential to curb uh, the increase in rates of working age mortality in the coming years. So again, while your report is more over a, a presentation, straightforward, descriptive of the data and the findings thereof. Sure. You know, obviously, the, the, the big question, particularly for policymakers, is, okay, so what do we do? Yeah. And as I said before we started this, I, in reading this, I, I, I clearly got between the lines the impression there was a struggle between, well, we could fairly straightforward report the data in an understandable manner. Um, and of course, your chapter 10 again, uh, which I noted, um, uh, well done. But what would you say now? Again, whether it's your comments, independent or own, relative mm-hmm. to what – I mean, for me, it seems pretty obvious relative to policy changes per Medicaid. It would be helpful if everyone had insurance. Mm-hmm. If it was universal, if we had universal coverage that was affordable. And leaving aside mm-hmm. all you know, the quality issues, access, timeliness, all of that, um, just crudely if everyone was covered. Uh, beyond that, uh, relative to uh, socioeconomic status, of course, you could default to tax – uh, the tax code, but of course, you know, the feds, the, the president uh, campaigned on a federal minimum wage. That, that policy has mm-hmm. evaporated. Um, but where, you know, you're an expert on the subject. There seem to be pretty direct economic implications, mm-hmm. despite the confounding factors, as you suggest. It's a very complex subject. You know, what uh, variables uh, do you count? What's, which ones do you dismiss? But, uh, I appreciate if you could offer more relative to uh, the conclusions of grappling with policy changes. Yeah, it's difficult uh, because it's so complex. Um, but I think um, if I can, you know, I'm just going to take one step back because I did regain that thought that I had. Please. You, you, use, you use the word vulnerability. I mean, that was in, a, in and, you know, you read the report. So you saw that was in a right. really important theme um, that, uh, that ran through the report is that you know certain individuals are just more are more vulnerable to these causes of death, mm-hmm. and you know the you know those families in Appalachia who you know lost their jobs over generations, you know if um, you know if if there weren't those or if there weren't weren't pill mills and opioids all over the place, they may not have ever taken drugs and, and, you know, experienced high, higher death rates from, from drug overdose. Right. So, you know, so there was this, always this interaction of being vulnerable and then having, um, you know, this, this sort of access um, or, so the vulnerability is important. And so one of the things that we try to say in terms of our policies is that, you know, we really need to address you know, the living conditions that increase the vulnerability of communities, families, and, and individuals. So that's very broad. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we, you know, we, we do say that Medicaid should be expanded uh, mm-hmm. for, for all. Um, the, I think the, uh, you know, trying, you know, getting, you know, increasing opportunities for those who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic status is important. And, you know the one thing that, and again, you know this. These are my. This is this is my perspective. Sure. But like the infrastructure bill, uh, for example, that is going to make jobs available to our blue collar workers, and that and those are the one. You know that's the subgroup who really has been out of work for a long time, mm-hmm. 
And so I think that would be, you know, a huge uh, um, uh, important uh, policy changes, you know, just for people to be able to get jobs, to provide a living um, for their families and, and have some stability in life. Um, so I think that, you know, that that's another good policy implication. Some of the other ones that relate to health were, um, you know, involve prevention programs. So, you know, early life obesity prevention programs, uh, schools that uh, even uh, early childcare programs that promote exercise and healthy diets. There was an experiment that showed 10 years later, the individuals who went to those preschool programs had uh, lower BMIs, were had a, were at better healthy weights. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the focus on prevention, I think, is important, uh, and also you know trying to figure out, trying to balance the rights of the sort of the industry, you know, that is trying that is promoting the consumption of food and beverages that contribute to obesity, you know, sort of balancing their rights with uh, you know with education and information about what you know what is healthy because. We, you know, you don't want to, um, you know, tell industries well, you you can't make potato chips anymore. Um, so it's it's a, it's a sort of balancing act there. Um, and you know, so I think most of our policy implications were somewhat directed at some of the economic issues, the inequality, uh, the lack of opportunity. Um, you know, issues of, of racism uh, that limit opportunities uh, for Blacks and Hispanics in terms of jobs and where they can live, uh, trying to dismantle those. Um, but, but that's a, you know, that's a kind of pie in the sky. This is what we need to do. It's not going to, you know, it's got, it's got to be enacted at the, at the local, at the local levels, state levels and the community levels. Mm-hmm. I, I want to uh, thank uh, thank you for the your last point on on nutrition and balancing, you know, industry versus uh, better or sound uh, more sound nutrition. There's a recent piece just published about Caliph as the new FDA uh, lead, and, and it was uh, Caliph needs to put the F back in the FDA, right? In the F being, of course, ah. the food. It's the Food and Drug Administration. The other point about early childhood, you do note specifically to your credit in the report the importance of the first thousand days of life. Right. I thought that was exceptionally well uh, noted and important. So a- excellent point there. So with that, uh, uh, Professor Hass, we're at our time. I genuinely appreciate this overview. Again, um, this is a beyond fundamental important issue um, and it really begs all of healthcare and, and the reform thereof uh, when you see uh, this stat of, uh, of, of declining a life expectancy. So I thank you again for the time. My pleasure. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.